Koto Fano, welcome back again to another department of conversation, making sweet, sweet love in your ear holes since 2018. Um, a really interesting guest today, Emily Duncan is a playwright. Uh, she is the Burns Fellow at Otago University, very talented and gifted writer. Uh, great conversation with her, local Dunedinite. In fact, the next couple are local Dunedin people, but local Dunedin people who are looking outside the boundaries of Dunedin, trying to take over the world. And I guess for Emily, it's one script at a time. Emily Duncan. My understanding is you can't defame the dead. So therefore, if you are, oh, it sounds like we've just gone live. Looking at Jace, we're live. We're live. We've been we talking. We can't about, defame the dead. Yeah, so. that's a good way to start, isn't it? Um, <laughs> hi, Emily Duncan. Hi, Pat. Playwright, for me. all-round extraordinary person joining us in the podcast. I made it up the stairs. Yeah, just third floor here at Petri Dish. Um, we were just talking before we went on air about who owns stories, and you talked about uh, what was the surname, Greg? Uh, Greg King, who was. Um, uh, a criminal barrister. Yep. And uh, passed I passed away quite young. Was he in his forties? I I, th- I assume yeah, so. Yeah, it was quite young, wasn't it? Um, and um, as I understand it, it was suicide. Yeah. Um, and I know we may want to be careful going into that, t- discussing that territory. But I uh, saw somewhere in the media in the past few days, as I understand it, there's a docu drama being made about, about his life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we were just saying, you know, who owns that story? His children will see it. His friends and family will see it. Mm. Um, and the point that I just sort of made was, and you can't defame the dead, which means it could be a total load of BS and there's nothing that then they could do about it other than, you know, make, make it knowledgeable that this is a total bunch of BS. But it's a really interesting topic at the moment, this who owns stories, because then you talk about something of the last let's say, three to seven, three to ten years, which has been quite a big um, point of contention for people with, like, um, cultural cultural appropriation. Yeah. You know, I remember, what was, Jace, you might know this, the name of, I can see him, I just can't catch her his name. There was a, a comedy series out in the last three or four years where the lead character was transgender, um, but the actor was not. Oh, transparent. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. And, no, and he, Jeffrey Tambor. D- Tambor, uh, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah Tambor. Transparent. Yeah. And he won whatever it was Emmys for that kind of stuff. And then after about the second or third series, there was an uproar. Yeah. That how can a person who's not transgender play a transgender person? So who can tell that story? And that then stopped actually that production being made as well. Right. I think it got it's well. I think it's going forward for a final season, but without. Him because yeah. there have been allegations made around. Oh well, that's the other thing. His <laughs> behaviour, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But we, this this seems to happen a lot, and I wonder, I wonder about that as well. I wonder what stories can we tell? Um, you know, do we get to a point? And I'm thinking maybe more film because maybe in writing you can speak to this. Maybe in playwrights, you 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 kind of maybe have a picture in your head of who this character may be, and they would probably be if you were writing about a Maori character, mm-hmm. probably in your head they look and feel and sound Maori. But that person could then be played by a Asian person on screen if that was the interpretation. Well, that's yeah. the, that's the sort of the, the uproar that's happening at the moment with um, the new Little Mermaid that's happening. Oh yeah, yeah, with the, the you know because like, she's not red haired, blonde, blonde, blonde and white and stuff. But. Right. I mean, we also you know Jason will know this from film. We're um, working collaborative, collaboratively yep. <laughs> often, um, so. You know, the writer can work in their lane, yeah. and then it's always um, a movable feast. How much they may be involved, say, in the casting, for example, or um, how many how many plays have you written? How many? Yeah, oh, I haven't. A couple counted. of dozen more. Oh no, we're probably looking a dozen. Shall I tell you? I've got, I've got your bio. <laughs> here. No, but they, they won't have all of them though. <laughs> that will, yeah. The ones like, that are for sale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like asking well, you a musician can, how many songs are written because you know there'll be songs they've got in a notebook somewhere. Sure. That, that's never been uh, seen the light of day. I have day. a lot of notebooks lying around. With have you ever have you ever taken offence? Have you ever um, you know been kind of like hang on when you've seen someone else doing one of your works interpreting it completely differently to how you saw it, or do you go? This is for them to interpret. I'll let them go for it. I've seen um, interpretations of parts of my 
plays where it's maybe not how I may have done it. I wouldn't say yeah. taken offence. This is part of the risk you take with writing and um, as you become a more experienced playwright, mm-hmm. being able to shore up a script that you're happy to um, hand over. When you say not how you would have done it, you're meaning if you had have directed it, that's not what it would have looked like? Or do you mean yeah. that's not how I wrote it? In this particular <laughs> production, um, and I, I, on the whole, I was really happy with yeah. the, the production. I think they made really bold choices. Um, I would say maybe the the stage directions, as I had written them, had been interpreted slightly differently at the end, right? Which which sends a different message. So is that frustrating to you, or do you just kind of go, "Oh, it's a bit interesting"? Um. I think I, I said like I'm beating around the bush. At the time, I, I was, I was a bit taken aback, right? Because it was quite a, a different intention, because it was a very strong ending, right? Um, but I also felt I could acknowledge the strong choices that the director had made, and I would say that in principle to anyone working creatively own your choices and your intentions Mm. as much as you can Mm. Um, but also coming back to who owns stories keep the dialogue open with people um, around what you're wanting to do and also you can't you can't please or serve everyone yeah of course Someone is perhaps, always going yeah, to be offended. If, if, or if they had have written it like uh, true to the uh, the directions you wrote in it, then maybe someone in the audience would have gone, oh, I wish I had have taken this direction. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Just so uh, people know, if <laughs> you, a, hear, you hear a little bit of noise in the background. We've got some... A man on the roof. A man on the roof doing some alterations <laughs> and stuff. So if you hear any clunking and you know donking in the background, that's... Uh, that's what it is. In that moment where you, um, you know, saw the ending of the play, obviously you're in the, audience. you're in the audience, mm. and then of course normally when those situations at the having been on stage at the end of it, the the, the director might say, and the, the author is here today, and thank you, and a big round of applause for, and that that happened at the end where you're kind uh, of like it wasn't it wasn't uh, that sort of setting. Right. Um, I I also felt I mean that play was a commission. Right. Um. And it was very much uh, in that process that I wrote the play mm-hmm. and I workshopped it with some young actors and it was handed over. So, and I was absolutely fine with the understanding of that. And at that point, I think it becomes less about me as the writer yeah. and it's about the production team and the actors. So and they as, were but young as, a, cast. as a writer, when you do a commissioned piece, is that more than, for example... Um, supplying a client a product that they ask for? Like, is it a less creative product or is it still all you, all creative, all all off your back? I think it's still a creative product. You're working creatively maybe within what they're after. Yeah. But part of, I mean, there's often very, you know, various stages to a commission Mm. and you know, they have an agent and you work with them going forwards about how you're going to um, tackle it. I hear the word commission though and I think if I was to commission, let's say, a piece of art, I'd probably say to the artist, this is what I want. Right. That sounds like a more restrictive form rather than just saying to an artist, here's $1,000, create me something, you know, it's... Right, if I want a family portrait with my children. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the, you know giving, giving. I think it's almost you, uh, speaking from a purely creative point of view. I think going here's a thousand dollars, create something mm. is is far more scary than <laughs> than say here's what we need. These are the parameters, mm. and and then the creative mind goes great. Some parameters to okay. work within. You know, I can yes. be more creative because I have to like I can push on that parameter and I can really work within that one. And you 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 have a point to start from. So it's not so much you don't sit down and go. Um, what do I do? <laughs> I don't know. I, I can do anything. What can I do? Yeah, there's, there's definitely um, benefits to limitations and <coughs> restrictions. I think that pushes you to think creatively. The, the commissions I've 
done, uh, usually there's a process in terms of, first of all, you submit an idea. Mm-hmm. You give them an idea of what the, the um, project is, as opposed to them saying, hey, in six months come up with an amazing piece of work yep. and then you go away and sweat it because you don't know what their right. idea of an amazing piece of work is. Right. Yeah. So so it sounds like basically what you're saying is there's no reduction in creativity to a commission for you. I haven't felt yeah. that way, no. Mm. Um, still thinking about the idea of who owns stories. I'm fascinated as well by there seems to be a culture, maybe it's more in America than here at the moment, uh, along the lines of who, who can tell what stories. I have a fear of quite a lot of involvement with comedians in New Zealand and I, and I spend a lot of time following and watching comedians in America and listening to their podcasts and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw one just the other day. Um, I'm not, I'm, can't remember who it was, so there's pointless that me, me tell the story, but about a, a comedian who went to a college, a young guy, um, who the organisers of the college came out and stopped his set, his, his, his set, even though the audience was liking it. And they basically said to him, we don't know if, you're, if, if you've got the right to tell that joke about that story because you're not the, the ethnicity of the joke subject matter, to which he said, it was about a, uh, the joke was something like, and I'm, you know, if this offends anyone, I apologise, but just to give context about how he knew that um, homosexuality was real um, because there's, uh, there's black gay people and why would you pick two two things to be, you know, ostracised by. So that was the basis of the joke. Right. And he wasn't black. Okay. And then he got challenged on stage by this and asked and said it was time to finish, he, to which he said, you know, he had a very close friend who was a black gay man and he gave him the joke. So he actually was the person who gave him the joke and then he used it. In other words, it's almost like he's been commissioned. <laughs> okay, yeah. And then he was still But shut. But the idea of who can tell stories, who can make jokes, who can you know, portray art and, and how, I mean, like if someone, you see it sometimes, you know, cultural appropriation of Māori artwork, there was that businesswoman who had a, who had a, a tamuko and, and, you know, inappropriate and, and not okay. And where is the line of, we're being a bit sensitive and where is the line of, you actually, you probably shouldn't wear tamuko if you're not Māori. Well, it's certainly not my place to place any lines and I don't have any um, black and white answers but I do think, it, yeah, do you a lot of it goes back to maybe intention and having dialogue. Do you with ever people. think about? Do you ever think about when you are writing a character? Mm-hmm. So Eloise, for example, yes. my fifteen year old was very excited. I was talking to you because she saw Eloise last year. Fabulous. Um, Seven year old girl. Yes. Uh, based on your experience as a made up person, could one therefore say you are not a seven year old girl? How can you be writing the story? Well, we were all children yeah. once. Yeah. 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 That's it. Um, I mean, hopefully we can keep having these conversations about it as well. What's the alternative? Censorship? Well, that's a, a very good question. And I think there's a, um, to me, it feels like, and this kind of conversation has come up in previous podcasts, that there is a, a, a current transition in our language. And some of the conversations we have, it feels like maybe there aren't the words or the ideas to fully express answers to them yet, but we're in that transitional period at the moment. Because, you know, what is um, censorship to one person is free speech to another. Mm -hmm. And who gets the right to shut down a conversation or an idea or a storyline or a cultural appropriation and, I mean, I just think about in America, for example, they talk about the, there's a couple of sports teams. There's one football team called the Redskins, and it's the most offensive name to a whole lot of Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Yet, they're, what am I wearing? Am I wearing New York today? I'm probably wearing yeah, New York LA. today. LA. Okay. LA. Uh, Dodgers. LA. Okay. Um, <laughs> or I've got another Cleveland Indians cap. Yeah. But my understanding is Indians are seen as a fairly offensive word to many people because Native Americans. But the team has made a relationship with the local Native, the indigenous people, and they've kind of signed off on it. Right. So offensive word for one team, for some, but oh, yeah. they've got sort of the check mark by the Indigenous people, offensive word for another one, majority of the population seems to be against that word. We're having the same sort of thing at the moment in New Zealand, aren't we? The Crusaders. Crusaders. Yeah. So. yeah. And look, I had always, um, and I don't follow rugby. Hey, look at that, we're talking was, about sport. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you had to um, yeah. somehow. But I, you know, it was 
as long as they'd known about the name of the Crusaders. Yeah. Why the hell is there a rugby really? team called the Crusaders? Um, but well, yeah, and then, then there are other people who legitimately have the reaction you had just well, now. They don't see the issue. The thing is, I'm I'm. I mean, if you Google me, Google my name, you'll see that I've been involved with, you know, the religious fraternity a lot right. in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm fully aware of what the term crusader means. And also, if you probably Google my name, you'll see that most people consider me a screaming left-wing liberal. Mm-hmm. So I also understand the, you know, the... Um, sensitivity around that name when it comes to especially the Muslim community. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really think, put the two and two together, I guess... I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe that shows a weakness in me or a, or a, or a oblivionness oblivionness in me. But I I thought I never stopped and thought. Well, surely no one will find this offensive. I never I never even had the conversation. Sure, and if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't, uh, I'm also wary of using this word. If it doesn't trigger anything in you, you don't know to have the conversation and I think this is where theatre can have an important role (laughs) is that it has that means to open up conversations where we can truly empathise with people and we can um, or like this setting and I can say and was never really cool with this idea of a sports team called the Crusaders and you can say where you can come where you come from as opposed to us shutting each other down and saying you're ridiculous you're ridiculous but we can talk it out a bit. One of the things we really are going to try to achieve in this is... Today? Only today (laughs) is to have all sorts of ideas and stuff come through and all sorts of uh, opinions and, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not one of these people who will have on board only people I agree with. Yeah. Because how boring would that make the world? Exactly. How boring. And I often say um, when I... So some of the work I do is as a dramaturg, which is essentially a script advisor. I um, assist other playwrights or um, support them in creating their own works. Is that in your role at the university, officially? No, no or just it's just some of the work okay. I um, do. Okay. And I, I love doing it. It, it. It's a constructive way to support other writers. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I say to them is... Try to get to the truth of your characters. Don't feel that you as a writer need to apologise for your characters. They are not necessarily, they are not you. Yeah. Well, there's always, you know, aspects of you and, you know, everything you do. Yeah. But if we really want to show the truth of your character's world, we can't hold back. Yeah. Um, We can't just have likeable characters. I don't watch Scarface to like Al Pacino's character. You know, yeah. there's a certain crazy admiration, but that's yeah, and, and that can be an uncomfortable space for yep. writers and actors yep. because you know, there's part of all of us love me, love me, totally like me. Yeah, um, yeah, it can take you into an uncomfortable space, but hopefully, you have the right supports around people. But also hopefully in a setting such as theatre or conversations like this, if you find ways to maybe move into that slightly discomforting space, mm-hmm. we can actually get some empathetic traction as opposed to just shutting each other down. I, so, I, okay, um, why does something make us uncomfortable, really? I was, I was having this conversation with my wife the other day about um, using another form of media, TV, um, and uh, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, well, no, just, I think it's just, they just call it Queer Eye, um, with it being rebooted, mm-hmm. and how they've kind of they've got the new Fab Five, um, and the, and we're talking about the very very first season coming out, um, you know, literally coming out um, was was these five gay guys, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, coming out making over guys, and it was very much, um, uh, I think I can't remember the phrasing I used, but basically it was it was. They were the point of the show wasn't just to give guys makeovers and make them feel better. It was about um, introducing a secular world, uh, introducing a potentially still quite homophobic world to the gay LBGTI uh, world. Right. And you know, and and and, right. and and in a way, kind of actually, kind of um, 
trying to use the right words without offending, but you know, kind of show people they're just regular people. <laughs> you know, they're regular dudes. They may have better fashion sense, <laughs> and that was the point of the show. But that was, it was very much introducing the world to not introducing the world to homosexuality, but in a, in a very mainstream way. Kind mainstreaming, of way. Mainstream, the main, idea. mainstreaming. That's probably that's a good way yeah. of phrasing it. Uh, mainstreaming the idea of homosexuality as as a, as a, as, a, as a normal uh, lifestyle. And that actually that, poses no threat. Yeah, exactly. And, and then, and then I've kind of I was saying that that was great about the new season is that they've done that. The first Fab Five did that, and, and and they were part of the battle. You know, you can look at people like Alan DeGeneres as well. They were part of the LBTI battle to to mainstream that that lifestyle and get people understanding it, accepting mm-hmm. it, that sort of thing. And then these guys are much more. If you I don't know if you guys have watched it at all, but. The new Fab Five are much more, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. But they're also very much, not in a sort of really open sort of hero parade, sort of, you know, wearing leather um, chaps and that sort of thing. Um, and that really cliche sort of, they're just, but they're very much, they're just, just regular guys. Um, you know, there's a guy who's just, you, this, you know, without using cliches, you, you look at them and you, apart from a couple of them, you wouldn't have a clue. Whereas the first, you know, first ones are a little bit more like that. And it's, again, it's, it's kind of, it's, again, it's pushing, <laughs> I use inverted quotes, the gay agenda, but, but mainstreaming it even more so and going even further into that and actually kind of going, right, now, we've, now that we've mainstreamed it, let's get to some of these really, these real rooted ideas that are still against it and try and combat it. And so often they're going into, into sort of the Bible belt and talking to people. Mm. Um, that they would have never done in the first season. Yeah, this and reminds me stuff, of you know. um, God, almost 20 years ago in London, like the Rada Summer School, but a, fr- a friend of mine who was on the course with me, she was from the Bible Belt part of the States. Right. And the film version of, oh, what's it called, The Birdcage? Yep. Yeah, that came out. Yep. And she said, I'm off to see this. With Hank Azaria. It's a great character. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, that came out months ago in the States. Did you not see it then? And she said, I live in, I live in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Right. We don't... It's not playing in our yet. movie theatres. Yikes. And it's like you don't know what you don't know. And, yeah. That's It wasn't coming to a town near her. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting. I used, I used to know of a, um, a group of young people who were associated with the church in East Auckland and they used to put out actively a do not watch list of movies. Mm-hmm. So they'd hand the young people, you know, their teenagers, these are the movies that you shouldn't watch because, you know, it'll send you to hell or whatever it was. Right. And so, of course, that weekend, what were the first movies that all of those kids went and watched? (laughs) Were the ones that their so-called elders or whatever the correct terminology was said, do not watch. Yeah. Have yeah. you ever had any? Have you, have you ever had any? Oh, I'm not being familiar with your work. Sorry. Um, do you have any? Are there any controversial topics you cover? Like, is there any? Have you had any people go? You shouldn't be writing about this. This is not a topic for young kids to be watching, or you know, jowl shaking sort of stuff. I have done. Um, yeah, and it probably comes back to the the characters I mean people can find the stuff online um, yeah and it's uh, you know it's part of the field we work in in that you know a reviewer's interpretation yeah of your work yeah and they don't necessarily they're not aware of the the conversations or what went on in the actual um, Production. And then often you get that outrage from the review as opposed to from the actual people who have never seen the work or heard the work or whatever it is. Yeah. And, so so and here's and the Yardstick in New Zealand. Has has Family First ever complained about you? No. Oh, there you go. You've got ways to go no. yet. You've got a ways uh, you to know, go You know, yet. today's news is tomorrow's fish and chip, baby. Everyone's <laughs> madly Googling now. But, uh, yeah, and it's, um, yeah. So what, what are the kind of characters that cause controversy? I mean, the one that often comes out is, for example, suicide and teenagers, that sort of thing. Is an often, if that's in a YA book, yeah. a young adult's book, then often that's like, oh, should we be putting this in front of our kids? What, what are the kind of traits or characters that have been more controversial for you? Right. So this particular play was actually, um, it was a commission mm-hmm. and it was um, the, the genesis or the idea of the play came from Jeremy Kyle's show. Oh yeah, and, and so for those that don't know, that's like um, what was his name, Jerry Jerry Springer, Jerry, but on Jerry. steroids. Yeah, sort of and it's this povsploitation type yeah. 
Which um, is now been cancelled because someone killed yeah, themselves. Yeah, exactly. And this is <laughs> it should have been cancelled cancelled years yeah. ago. And that was kind of that was my driver for writing right. this piece. As I thought, it's so exploitative, and I was thinking. Um, you know, of all the sort of airtime, the likes of Mike Hoskins mm-hmm. get, uh, you know, and I was thinking about what if such a show were to happen here mm-hmm. and what would be the divisions that would be um, created um, around that. Yep. Um, and I had uh, so Pacific Islander um, characters in the play and Victor Roger, who was Samoan, was my dramaturg. Mm-hmm. Um and um, yeah, so that was the background to writing it, and um, yeah, it sparked some reactions. And what? So I'm I'm assuming, <laughs> not knowing the work, but yeah. that you know, how dare you portray the Pacific Island community in this light? You know, that sort of thing would be a, a criticism. Yes, in a nutshell. Um, and like the, the, Mar- the irony was, well, actually, that's the point of it. Yeah. We have this whole industry, like the Jeremy Kyle industry, yeah, yeah. that millions of people watch, which is so exploitative and reductive and, um, yeah. Is there, yeah. like I was just thinking, it's a, a silly example, shows my mentality, <laughs> yeah. but um, Maui, the movie. Mm-hmm, which that, I haven't seen, but the, I've heard a little bit about. That Sorry. The Rock um, voiced, you know, uh, not just in New Zealand, but mm-hmm. but kind of uh, Pacific-wide, there was a bit of an outcry about this guy who was kind of a bit dumpy and a bit fat looking on screen, you know, portraying Pacific Islanders as obese sort of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess what I'm wondering... And the same question for you about your writings. Is, is there a validity in the criticism? Absolutely. So even yeah, though yeah, you've yeah, written yeah. the piece yeah. and you've chosen to... Oh, you to, mean in my piece? Well, both. Yeah, yeah. So you know. let's have the... Comp- yeah. Um, not today. We've done enough. But yeah, let's open up. That's, I have to take something from that as a writer. Mm. So, okay, this is how some people um, react. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you just have to when you put stuff in the, the public domain or choose, yeah, what you're going to um, do with it. I mean, me as a woman, I've when I'm watching things on TV or reading, you know, I often look at how female characters are portrayed mm-hmm. and what's their... What's their role? Which is always the, the the Bishdale test, isn't it? The Bishdale test. There is like you, um, that that you should apply to all screenplays. I think we've actually talked about this before, but it's for your film or play or whatever to pass the Bishdale test. If I'm pronouncing that correctly, it has to have two female characters having a conversation for more than a couple of minutes uh, that's not about a male character. Um, and that, that if you have that, then you pass the Bishdale test, which basically says you know you've got. It's a, it's a starting point for having decent female characters in your film. Well, but uh, look, I mean, part of me kind of goes, it's a lovely idea, but then doesn't it depend on the content? I'm sure that didn't happen in Saving Private Ryan because <laughs> that wasn't the content of the movie. It wasn't about, you know, women having a, you know, a longer than two-minute voice. It was about six or eight or 11 men trying to go save another man in the middle of a war. So I sometimes hear those sorts of things and I think, good intention, but for me it always comes back to what are they trying to achieve? Oh, what yeah, is the content? Yeah, 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 yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. if you don't pass this, no, you I won't get, get funding sort of thing. I get it. I get it. But, but no, but there is a lot of times where people say, you know, you know, such and such and such and such isn't represented. Mm-hmm. It's like, well... Maybe this is not a film that involves those people. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe this is a film about a, a sector of society where that group of people, male, female, specific ethnicity, mm-hmm. tall, short, fat, um, handicapped in some way, mm-hmm. maybe they're not a part of the storyline because you know what? Uh, my storyline today, mm-hmm. if I was to write the story of my story today, mm-hmm. I don't know because it's not finished yet, but yeah. there's probably a very good chance I won't come across a disabled person. So if I was going to write my story of today, there's but at the end of the day, probably there's no disabled people in that story. Sure. But this comes back to, uh, you know, I entirely agree with you on that, I think. Um, again, who gets to tell the stories? Who gets through the door in the first place? Yep. Who gets to sit around writers' tables? Who's 
what playwrights get their work on main stages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have talked in the past about um, when I was in sixth form, mm-hmm. back when we had forms at school, um, we studied um, Renee's play Wednesday to Come. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I w- wasn't a particularly stupid girl, but before then, it never, I don't think I'd ever had in front of me a book of a play that actually published by a woman let alone a woman in New Zealand. And that was a real light bulb moment, me as a 16-year-old, to think, oh, women can write plays and have them published and put on professionally. It's difficult to emulate what you can't see. Yeah. So therefore, therefore let's use my silly um, anecdotal example of my day today. Mm -hmm. Um, That would be written by a cisgender white male Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't likely involve any disabled people, mm-hmm. probably no transgender people, mm-hmm. um, and that would be the story. Yeah. Should I, therefore, writing that story, include those characters for today to make it more diverse, to make it more so a transgender child will see it and feel included, or should I speak truth to my day? I know it's a silly example, but, you know, I'm... Stop working through this. Yeah, 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 and look, there aren't hard and fast answers. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'd say stick to the truth of your day, but also interrogate it. And one comeback I might have for you is you could say technically you're sitting across the table from someone with a disability mm-hmm. and that um, I have no pituitary gland anymore. It's been... Oh. Yeah, so I, like before I came in here, I have to take um, steroids three times a day because I don't make sufficient my body doesn't make sufficient cortisol right anymore so you wouldn't know that without no. me um telling you but that's a way of i suppose me saying look disabilities aren't all in a, a wheelchair or very true yeah and and you i i don't know if so you, you were telling me a bit about yourself before we went on air about these why you have these spinny because I'm, I'm distractible. Yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily have like have known that about you either. Well, that's what we wanted so to like, let's, do. Let's not have, um, these have stereotypes about. Yeah. You know what is a disability, or what is yeah, or what is any character, or what is person. any what is any illity with whatever the word. What is any ism, illity, whatever yeah. that is. And you know, Jason was talking earlier about. Um, is it just called Queer Eye now? Was it? Yeah, yeah, I think they because because they, they they don't actually necessarily do because they've done a couple of women, um, right, uh, and that sort of thing, and sometimes oh. even just do communities as well. Um, the new well, season, I mean, like they fix up houses and stuff. Yeah, they, it's, it's almost become a little bit extreme makeover house edition. They because they do that as extreme well, as makeover queer edition, queer edition. But it's it's become. It's interesting because they actually um, they go into the stories of the guys a little bit too. Like one of them is from the Bible Belt and talks about being coming up, growing up in an evangelical Christian home and coming out and being like a the singing in the band at church and then coming out as gay and then being like just kicked out of home basically. Okay. Um, and so he comes and they talk about their stories and 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 he talks to these people and they're like he's talking to these straight people who are a little bit homophobic or have misconceptions. And like help them to work through their misconceptions through having these great conversations. So you know, I've never met and actually had a god proper conversation with a homosexual person before. You've really opened my eyes. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's all just about you know we need to love each other and you know it's it's good stuff. So, yeah, and so that's they're all from show. very they're different backgrounds. Very different. Some of them's from ones from Chicago. He's a black, big black guy. You know, he's you know he's probably he's got the great fade going on. But it's and they're all very very different guys. And there's one guy who's just like. Super flamboyant, wears dresses. He's fantastic, okay. um, in all senses of the word. Don't you mean he's fantastic? Ex- well, he's because he does that exact sort of stuff all the time. But he's he's <laughs> awesome because he's he's so great because he's just totally unapologetic about who he is as a person. Okay. He totally knows himself. But they do. Which is great. But that's you know he feels the choice to do that. I'm thinking of um, Hannah Gadsby's. Nanette, yeah, stand up, you know, and she talks about my people mm. and how she's not really a, a pride parade person. Her favourite sound is the sound of a teacup on a a saucer. Yeah, yeah. So the way we also put that out there, she doesn't get on a float necessarily. She just yeah. There's, I think, you know, people can. It's a great onus once you're identified of being 
whoever and how you know why what you might be expected to represent mm. whatever was it, was it like or whoever kind of for some reason talking more about the LGBTI community than anything else but I was talking again I was having the conversation the other day about the hero parade and how people were pulling a lot of people were pulling their 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 support and funding from it through some of the controversy about um, frontline police officers but um, I also kind of ended up having the conversation with somebody about how whether the hero parades even needed anymore because when it first came out, it was about saying, you know, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. This is us, we're celebrating who we are, we have our, our identity. And it's just kind of like, I, I could be really naive as a cis male, cis male guy, but I feel like we're at a much better place now. And it's almost like we don't need to celebrate it because but it's that's such a not our call thing. to make. Exactly, it's not our call to make. And the people behind it are almost actually making the call themselves. But it's kind of like, you know, you, the, to me, I feel like they've kind of. For me, in my in my life, I feel like you know that the my opinions about um, the LBCI community have come a long way from when I was a teenager because of those sorts of movements, and I, so it's great. I mean, I think also just like on the absolute overly simplistic. I mean, mm. why would you turn down the chance for a big party once a year in the weekend? I mean, honestly, who, because who, you might be really introverted. It's not your thing. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a little bit like when you when you just said then it's not our call to make. It made me think, for example, and sorry, often it comes back to politics for me, politics or Disney movies, they're my two areas. Right. Um, of the Māori seats, you know, it seems that there are a lot of people who are saying get rid of Māori seats, whereas it seems very clear to me that's a, that's for the, that's for Māori to make that decision. I mean, the reason they were put in a place in the first time was kind of to disadvantage Māori. And now that it has seemed to be, to be an advantage to Māori, all of a sudden it's time to get rid of them. There's fair representation. So that's for Māori to, 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 to sort through, not for, let's say, the Axe Party um, or Winston Peters. God bless them. <laughs> yeah. And what, what, is, what does representation really look like as well? It is interesting, eh, the whole... Um, I feel like we're still kind of talking about who's like right from the start about whose story is it to tell and I was thinking the other day about I don't know if I was thinking about the Jeffrey Tambor situation but I was thinking about how there is a bit of a push in Hollywood at the moment for you know authentic people to play those same characters you know mm. if you are Native American you should play I mean in the past it was terrible I mean they've got John Wayne you should definitely Google John Wayne playing an Asian character you know, John Wayne, have you seen any of those? No. John Wayne played Asian characters with the worst stereotypical accents and those sorts of things to come full circle um, to where we are now and what we're, what we're doing. But I also think, can you then go one step too far, you know? Um, can you go, oh, there we go, there's John Wayne as an Asian character. Just the worst of every stereotype and still speaking the same um, you know, with the same lilt and accent, and it's gone full circle. I wonder if we went full full circle. Someone like um, who's Doogie Howser? What's that actor's name? Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris is gay. Mm-hmm. Can he play a straight guy? Well, he has, hasn't well, he? You know, you know, you look at you know. Um, but, but that's what I'm saying. At the moment, there's a there's ultra straight guy like Womanizer and How yeah. I Met Your Mother. Yeah. So, but there's this movement at the moment that says, for example, straight guys maybe shouldn't play gay guys, or non-transgender people shouldn't play transgender roles, um, you know, or um, let's say uh, uh, it hasn't really come up. But someone like Cliffy Curtis made a fair bit of his name in Hollywood, you know, playing sort of Arabic um, terrorist characters. <laughs> Um, but does that go all the way, and do we follow all the way through and say now, for example, a, a, a lesbian can't play a straight woman in a movie? Is that what we, we've got to? I hope not. Well, I, I, I hope we're not sitting. No, I, I, I agree. I, with I, we're not, you know. I agree with you, but rules. I guess what I'm saying, if you're drawing the lines in the other place, like if some in Hollywood are, mm-hmm. then surely consistency would say. And I don't want to get there either. I, I think it's silly. I, I think it's silly that the hard lines are drawn. There might be a reason sometimes to make sure that things are authentically as they were, but it seems to me that theatre, movies, you know, whatever it is in the past, has been a place for interpretation, has been a place, like I remember doing a Carol Churchill play, Mm -hmm. uh, Cloud Nine, Mm -hmm. when I was at university. I played a seven-year-old girl with a full beard. Yes. You know, it was actually part of the dynamics of theatre. It's like... We don't have to stick or abide by your societal rules. Mm-hmm. We will go beyond and outside them. Whereas it feels that maybe there are some, there's a bit of a movement at the moment that says, well, now we have to stick by societal rules. And I think that might be sad. 
Oh, it would be incredibly sad. And, and part of that, you, you know, in terms of like, acting or writing, is again, that comes back to the exercise of empathy yeah. and understanding or exploring worlds and people that are different from you. But it also seems a lot of this conversation is around maybe casting and I, you know, I, I think there's definitely room to um, a lot of places to make more effort around who is cast in um, but particular roles. I'm not saying being prescriptive or yeah, such sure. like, but if, if let's say for example you have a, a Chinese character, yeah. you can find those actors. They are. They are around. Sometimes a bit more effort does need to be made. Agreed. But um, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I think. Um, I, I agree. I agree. Who I, are you actually, you know, involving in your your work and telling the story? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, th- yeah. I, I I guess maybe I'm oversimplistic on this, but I always think about the best, the, the best person for the job. Maybe that might sound a little bit sort of libertarian. Um, okay, well then I'll come. Okay, so if we talk about best, the, yes, and also this goes back to who is given the opportunities and who coming des- up, and who decides who's the and best. you know what sort of say biases or whatever have yep. um, affected their appointments as they, you know, make themselves up to being the best for the job, mm. and we know enough now, especially around job interviews and um, or auditioning or wherever that we all have cognitive biases. And if someone, uh, you know, fits the role way to look the best and they're going to keep rising up, Mm. they're going to be the best person for that job because of that. And I think sometimes it comes back to who do we let through the door in the first place? Um, Yeah, maybe think a bit more laterally around who is the best person. Exactly, and as as I said there about who then gets to decide who's the best, because that's a part of it as well. Yeah, Um, it's interesting. There's some research out at the moment. Well, not at the moment, but there's research. And what are the structures? Sorry, but what what are the structures they're made to to work? You know, under one. You know, sometimes you hear, why aren't there more women CEOs? Maybe they don't want to work in that system or Careful. maybe there's no way to shake it up or oh, do I have to be quiet? Careful. Okay. No, no that would be the last thing I'd be telling you to be quiet after we're talking about women and as CEOs because there's, there's a lot of controversy around that at the moment about, you know, the role of male, role of female, are our brains the same, are they interchangeable, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a, you know. All right. I, I think there is research that say in general women, statistically speaking, yeah. don't want to have to go through the same things that are, CEO would the hours and maybe men don't want to either. I think you know, that, I think that the research shows otherwise, but okay. it's a it's a um, <laughs> it's a very controversial thing because you know what will happen is people will say women will say I can do anything that a man will do, and that's true. But when you take a, a, a ten thousand men and ten thousand women, you do get patterns that evolve that come out through research, and it would appear that that uh, women in general aren't as driven as men for those kinds of positions. Oh, yeah. And we also like thinking in zero-sum game terms as mm. well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's just keep shaking it up and talking about it. Well, Can I steal one of your tissues? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And seeing we're talking about chauvinists and stuff at the moment because that's what we just... I won't were. steal your ham and cheese sandwich. Um, <laughs> did you happen to see... Any of the Moller uh, situation this morning with Mr. Trump? I heard a bit of it um, on the radio, mm-hmm. the the terse exchange. I heard it. Um, so, are you a fan? Do you follow? Like, see, I follow American politics. Actually, like theatre. You're right. And actually, I I find it like it's like I watch Fox News, but not as a source of news. Right. I watch it as a source of entertainment. Okay. So I saw. Um, I read. Uh, was it Luke Harding's book Collusion? Yeah. Um, and then I also read Michael Wolff's first book. Uh, was it Fire and Fury? Mm-hmm. Fury, and, F- and I. It's and I see he's got a new book out. And I think some people consider him a bit of a hack, maybe. Right. But um, I find the backstory to that, how he got to write that book, kind of hilarious. It, it speaks volumes about the Trump administration, how he sort of got in the door in the first days of the administration. And no one really thought to ask, 
what are you doing here? Yeah. And people just opened <laughs> up to him. And then he's got this sort of tabloidy. It's like the first few of days book. of the of, of him being president that everyone was getting put through the switchboard and they had like six um, prank phone calls get through to him because they was just saying yes to everybody. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, so yeah. How did they get through? Yeah. I don't know. Everyone seems once you're there, oh, you must be. You must be part of the team or you're meant to be here. Muller was up for about four hours today and it seems that 98% of his testimony was sort of irrelevant. Okay. Um, but there was kind of three big things to come from it. Mm-hmm. And these will be the high, you know, like they, any any news channel for the next kind of three days will play these, probably these three things. Uh, and uh, a Republican congressman stupidly asked the question, you know, is there a, I'm paraphrasing, but is there a case once President Trump is not president that he can get arrested? And Mueller said yes. So that's pretty massive. Mm. And the other big thing, there was an exchange between a Democratic congressman and Mueller where basically Mueller said there is no evidence. There's no evidence. We could not come to evidence that there was uh, that there was no collusion. Now Trump's going no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, mm-hmm. and he spelled it out very, very clearly that the report does not clear him of collusion. Yeah. So they were the two things that really come from it. Do you want to, have you got some audio there, Jace, or we're just having a look? Yeah, I don't know what this. I think he's about this is a year section. Of refuse the request to be interviewed by you. And oh, your that team. was when the president wouldn't come for yes. a year. And is it true that you tried for more than a year to secure an interview with the president? Yes. And is it true that you and your team advised the president's lawyer that quote an interview with the president is vital to our investigation, close yes. quote. Yes. And is it true that you also, st- quote, stated that it is in the interest of the presidency and the public for an interview to take place, close quote. Yes. But the president still refused to sit for an interview by you or your team. True. True. So not all the way through, you know, I'm innocent, I've done nothing wrong, I'm the, I've got the best words, which was his greatest comment ever, I've got a big brain and the best words. And stable really stable genius. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's comedy fodder for the. For, mm-hmm. There's going to be, you know, for every art meme, the medium. There's going to be, you know, there's going to be plays about him. There's going to be films about him. There's going to be, you know. Yeah, which is part but of also this, part of the, this game, I still think he's actually incredibly smart. I, I deep down, I still think he's actually one of the smartest people on the planet because he's. Oh, Jason! I think this is the end of our relationship, no, 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 Jason. Because he's, he's gaming the system. Because he's going to be famous but, for the rest of yeah, his life, but, and he's going to live in infamy for. His, let's not overlook that we still have, you know, children in cages. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Abortion laws being... It's just... I don't actually think he's smart, but I'm deep down I'm thinking that the only way he could possibly ever have a shred of humanity or dignity left in him is that he's just actually like the most inhumane person and he's just gaming the system. I think he's just a narcissist or a sociopath. It's one, it can be only one of the two. And people in those areas tend to think that they have the answers, even though they don't. Mm. But, but actually, so I would think the likely scenario is rather than him being a compulsive liar, is he's... He has narcissistic personality disorder, so he doesn't even know he's lying. He's the po- he's the poster child for the uh, Dunning Kruger effect. Um, <laughs> of, you know how, how how much you think you know versus how much you actually know that you know when graphed over time. Well, know. I think what will be interesting is to see how the media disseminates those two bits of information that Robert Mueller was saying. There is no evidence. Mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm saying that wrong. He said that the report did not clear him of collusion. That was the correct way to say it. And that, that ridiculous Republican congressman who basically got Mueller to say, you know, he, he would be arrested if he wasn't president. It's like, duh. But then will that actually get back to Trump's no. support base? No, do no. They well, that's care? what I'm saying. The and it right back before he was elected. Do people care no. how Trump treats no. women? Or no. No. You know, no. The people it, who support it, him it, do it won't affect, not care. No, it won't affect the 30% of... People on the Trump train, those that thirty percent. I mean, what will come down to is uh, whether the re- uh, you know what the the next election is probably the Democrats to lose, but that's what they did last time. If Hillary hadn't have been in, if Bernie had have been in, Trump wouldn't have been president. And the Democrats, basically Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC, set up that election to put Hillary Clinton through. And the reason Trump won was because he was facing the most hated, well, the second most hated, both of them were the most hated candidates there's ever been. If Bernie was there, Trump wouldn't be president. So are the DNC going to do it again? Will they implode? 
time will tell. And you know what? The, the, the thing about it is everyone was concerned it would be the end of the world. And I think the one thing that's come from this is the that America as a um, like as a as a body, the, the actual political system seems to have enough checks and balances that he does at the moment have enough restrictions around him. That I heard someone say the other day that the worst thing about this, like a commentator, the worst thing about this is what we've done to our allies and how long it will take for us to reform. No, I mean if it was, I don't know. Pick any, pick any of the DNC guys next time around. There's a phone call to the UK or there's a phone call to Germany or there's a phone call to Australia and relations get straight back to where they were. I don't believe it's going to be an ongoing 20-year process for America to become come back into the fold after Trump. Or, I, I, you know, I'm wary of overlooking the real human cost while all this is going on. Yeah. The entertainment... You can, trade, you can talk about trade deals and stuff until you're blue in the face, but the fact is that there's you know there's people being put in cages like animals totally. at the border and totally. you know lifelong separations. And so, you know, they'll be cleaning up that mess for decades. That, that kind of thing, yeah, I agree. But and I haven't been following the statistics, but it, you know the number <laughs> of shootings in the states that are well, I think America will. I think America will feel this for years because if he loses the next election. Of course, that 30% will all be, it's been stolen from him, it's big government coming back, it's a setup. it's, you know, and that's, there's already commentary and commentators saying that he won't go quietly if he, if he goes, mm. you know, so that, that, I think this will be ongoing in America for a long time, but I think the point I was making was people concerned about how America would get back to the rest of the world and come back into the fold back to the UN, back to the Paris Climate Accord, that kind of stuff. I don't think any of that mm-hmm. is going to be a flow on because that's one phone call. Um, but yeah, um, it'll be interesting. There is a guy, and we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, Jace. Um, I forget his name, but the guy who um, has predicted the correct election outcome since 1984. Hmm. Um, he's got a he's got a series of seven or eleven questions, and depending on how those questions get answered, yeah, um, he can predict. He's who not an octopus. Win. No, he's not an octopus. <laughs> and he got he got hmm. Trump right as well. Yeah. And he has come out in the last couple of months saying if there's not one more significant major oh, – there he is there. What's his name? I always forget his name. If there's not one more significant major negative against Trump, like, for example, being impeached, mm-hmm. according to his calculation, he'll win again in 2020. Okay. And he's been right since 84. Like his, his prediction model has been right. Yeah. So – uh, what does he say? Yeah, so they have to impeach him. So he, he talks about that he has to have one significant negative against him and he's suggesting that if they don't impeach him, he'll win again. That's what his uh, research says at the moment. So there you go. Welcome to another four years of mm-hmm. Trump world. Hey, Pat, can I ask you, you said you have a 15-year-old daughter I do. About who um, does drama yep. at school. And my 13-year-olds read dra- musical and drama as well. So what do you see the place of that in their... Their young lives. It's interesting, actually, because my 15-year-old is first-year NCEA, um, and so she's starting to talk about university and what she wants to do in, with her life and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, and she wants to, of course, be an actress. Mm-hmm. That's what she mm-hmm. wants to do. Yeah. And I'm, I, I think the, I think in her life right now, drama is amazing. It gives her, you know, um, I was going to say the courage, but certainly the skills and the confidence to be up on stage in front of people. It gives her the ability to, you know, show a creative side of her that she couldn't show at other times. It's mm-hmm. a way for she can express herself, uh, herself. And then we get into the other stage of it, which is what next? And right. that's the conversation we're having at the moment, what next? And I say to her quite a lot, because uh, I went through that. I, I've got post-grad diploma in drama mm-hmm. and I work for Theatre Sports Auckland and yeah. I've done stage and screen and all that kind of stuff yeah. in an earlier day when I was less grey. Um and the thing that I'm interested in at the moment, and maybe you could comment on this, mm. is what do you tell your 15-year-old who wants to be wants to be an actress and wants to study drama? My my progress at the moment, my uh, process of talking it through with her at the moment is go for it. That's mm-hmm. always the first thing. Go for it. Mm. I study drama. You study drama. It's amazing. But the chances of it supplying you with a livable income for the rest of your life are slim. 
you know, you look at the number of people who are earning like that in New Zealand at the moment and it's, you know, very small number of people. Mm. And so we're talking about things like totally study a drama, do a four-year degree, whatever you want to do. Maybe then after that what you do is you do a year of get a teaching diploma as well. And then you've got your drama that mm-hmm. you can do as much as you can and if that doesn't turn into a professional career, you can still do it as mm. you want. But you've also got yourself a, you know, a career that is in that field anyway and you can continue on with it. Yeah, I think you know, part of when you, I mean, I would, yeah, wanted to be an actress mm-hmm. when I was younger, and I, by different routes, found my way more into playwriting. And I was talking um, to someone actually yesterday over lunch about this. Mm-hmm. What, what were those first sparks of why did I actually want to to write plays? And maybe for your. 15 year old at the moment which thinks I really want to be an actor and maybe she does but somehow find the way to keep coming back over, what is it really about this field mm. or industry that really excites me or drives me and one of the great things I often say about doing a, a theatre studies degree or drama is you get to try out different things I did my BA up at um, Vic Mm-hmm. If it's still called that today, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay, fellow Victor um, on <coughs> Victoria University as well. Victoria University of Wellington, Wellington, mm-hmm. Victoria, Wellington University of Wellington, Wellington is what it is at the moment. Or something. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we had um, papers uh, where it was more production focused, where everyone had to do a bit of everything. Yeah. In terms of putting um, a show on, and you know, that gives people a chance to. Actually, I'm really excited about lighting or set design or costume or, you know, the, the actors are often the ones out at the front. Yep. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on um, and these are skilled professions. It's also, yeah, that, that's true. I remember when I, I did my postgraduate diploma in drama at Auckland Uni mm. and part of that was doing all of those things mm. and, you know, we did we did everything from the uh, – from you know, whether it was a singing course or the actual parts of a performance too, lighting and set design and all that as well. And I think one or two of the people came out of that and moved into the more technical fields as well. So yeah. it's there. But, it, but I mean, even that though, I mean, I mean, again, how many people earn an income off set design in New Zealand? It, it's not going to be massive. It's not a, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I've gone from left wing to libertarian to right winger now, mm-hmm. where I go, it's not, it's not that I'm trying to say, you know, oh, it's a career you're never going to make money out of. But I guess I'm a realist and I really enjoy having real conversations with my girls. Yeah. I've got three daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I do. I, I encourage and I say, go for it. And I say, chase your dreams. And I say, but consider. Yeah. And uh, something I'd also say, you know, you've got three girls, is, um, you know, they might want to ask a question at some point. Say they, just want to act. I don't want to say just want to act because that sounds reductive. And yeah. It's not just acting. Um, and I have huge respect for actors. Is also what control or autonomy do they want to have over their career? What work do they want to be part of mm. creating? And say if you're in a more of a production role as well, and you look a lot of a lot of those um, maybe more high profile successful. Hollywood actresses, they're also producers. I yeah, think yeah, those yeah. women make, like, say, Big Little Lies. Right. Um, they get themselves into a position to create the work they want to create, yep. the stories they want to, to tell. Yep. So they don't have a lifetime of playing the wife or the girlfriend or the yeah, daughter. It's, it's clever. In fact, I noticed uh, the, the, the production being filmed in Dunedin at the moment, uh, the, <coughs> pardon me, it's the Hollywood, oh, it's, um, Christmas 1974, Black Christmas or whatever it's called. The um, producer of that Mm. was also one of the producers on Black Klansman. So he's now technically an Oscar award winning producer. Okay. Worked with Spike Lee. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's here in New Zealand. I've done everything I can to try and make a connection with those people for a conversation, but it hasn't happened. Um, Pick up the phone. Oh, yes, please. Talk to producers. I've I've tried. Yeah, that's a field that, um, sorry, I don't mean to tell you to suck eggs, but yeah, producers, (laughs) that's an amazing role. That um, I feel not enough people know about. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Also, what you what you kind of said back at the start about <laughs> about right. um, is, yeah, if you want to if you want to do anything in the industry, whether it's theatre or whether it's filmmaking or whether it's anything, don't befriend actors, don't befriend directors, don't pretend cinematographers unless you want to do those jobs. Befriend producers. Mm-hmm. That's my biggest advice sometimes. Um, back at this start when you asked me that question, talking about you know kind of what's the vibe behind why they want to do something as well. I remember, and this is one of the things that's maybe different about sort of uh, the millennial Gen Z kind of group of people, Gen Z, I guess we'd call them here in New Zealand, wouldn't mm-hmm. we? Um, and I think it was Jimmy Carr who got told that by a, you know, a young person that more and more he's not hearing from people, I want to be a comedian like you. He's hearing, I want to be famous like you. And so it's like <clears throat> being comedian is the desire, fame is the byproduct. It seems that the byproduct for for some, for many, I don't know what the correct term would be, mm-hmm. is the fame first. And you look at, I guess, the entertainment industry at the moment where people seem to be getting famous, insta-famous or for, oh, for not doing much. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, somehow that, that's a thing. Yeah. For, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't actually know where to start to explain that to your 15 old because it's a very different world from what I grew up yeah and I guess that's where your parenting comes in and it's like I when me and my 15 year old especially because I got 15 13 10 and so the 13 and the 10 will be off to bed soon and it's often me and my 15 year old sitting up solving the problems of the world Mm. and I try and find that balance of um encouraging supporting loving affirming and challenging um, with gentle realism as well. I'm just bringing this up because I, I always think about this when it's talking about like following a career in the arts. And yeah. there's, there's this great little clip from the speech from Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, and it's I think we should, it's it's quite applicable. I think. If imagining ghosts, right. worrying about the pathway to the future, but all there will ever be is what's happening here, and the decisions we make in this moment, which are based in either love or fear. I think this could so be many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. What we really want seems impossibly out of reach and ridiculous to expect, so we never dare to ask the universe for it. I'm saying I'm the proof that you can ask the universe for it. Hmm. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old... He's got a... Jim Carrey's got a fascinating story, though, as well. Have you seen the little documentary he's got online? It's about 12 minutes about his painting. No. We won't watch it. Um, Jace, but just bring up there in in, um, YouTube, uh, just put in something like Jim Carrey uh, Painting Studio. And it's um, it's a... a, He's a different person from The Mask. And he... um, Yeah, he... Is that it there, maybe? Jim Carrey, I needed colour. Maybe that's it, six minutes. And it basically goes through his, um, yeah, his painting studio. Yep, that's it. Just jump forward and have a look at some of his work. You can choose. (coughs) If you want to know more about Jim Carrey and his creative process, that's a really interesting look at what he does now. That's all his work, you know? But yeah, what that that clip was going on to say... um was that his dad chose the safe career of being an accountant mm-hmm. and then was made redundant and ended up having to flip burgers to be able to pay rent for their family and to support their family. So he failed at the safe option. The safe option failed for him, um, even, though his, even though Jim Carrey thought he could have been a great comedian. And so if he can fail at the safe, why not go for the risky? Yeah, totally. And I also think maybe, I mean, as I said, not to dispute that I agree with that, but I guess what I do with my my daughter as I say I say go for it go for it but go for it with um, the idea of 10% more effort in this area i.e. Do a, do a teaching diploma also gives you a backstop but go for it although there are many people having just watched uh, <laughs> um, one of the uh, the night the dark night rises where he has to the, the Batman movie against Bane where he has to make the final jump without the safety rope on or he doesn't make it. Yeah. That, there's that philosophy as well. So I don't, well, I, I don't know. I, and I think part of it, a lot of it comes back to actually, and you see that just with the snippets of Jim Carrey, is knowing your own integrity, mm. yeah, why you do 
what you do. And there is so much BS around it's all the time and that's always a good, you know, a measure when you're working in any field. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed right. to saying, I just want to be famous. I just want to be famous. And look, that feels like quite a nice place to wrap up, if you ask me. <laughs> <coughs> People want to know more about you, your writings and stuff. I thought we were wrapping up. We are wrapping up. That's what I'm just oh, asking okay. you to wrap up. <laughs> to wrap up. People want to know, like like I notice on some, if you Google your name on some websites, you can go and check out some of your writings. You can buy them. You can buy, when, when you buy one of your writings, is that also a license to perform it? No. So um, if you say we should go to the Play Market website yep. and um, I think maybe you can purchase a PDF of a script or one of Alo- a version of Aloise is um, published in a beautiful book of eight. Yeah, you're here now. Uh, is that, what was it called? There you go. Eight Click on book. Aloise in the middle there, Jase. There you go. Yeah, this book, which um, so that's yeah, it's, got eight, it's got eight plays. So in that's it. just to purchase it. That's eight plays. And then yeah. what happens if someone wants to perform it out of interest? So usually if you want to perform anyone's play, mm-hmm. you have to um, apply to license it through their agent. Right. Um, whoever that is, minus play market. Right. Yeah. So, you, yeah, you can't just go putting other people's work on. Very good. Um, and that's how, uh, yeah, playwrights don't make a living because you don't make a lot of money off that. But, yeah, so and part of that process is um, uh, in terms of licensing is, you know, the producer who is putting it on yep. is making, you know, under what circumstances are they they putting on. And coming back to, you know, who gets to tell stories mm. and casting is um, some licensing agreements might have quite clear guidelines around... Uh, Casting or how something mm-hmm. is staged. I seem to remember way I think it was back in the nineties. There was a production of Waiting for Godot mm. on here in Dunedin, I think at the Globe, and the director had cast a woman in one of the roles, oh, yeah. and the Beckett Estate essentially had it shut down. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, so like I was about to say, I, I interviewed, was lucky enough to uh, interview Richard O'Brien, mm-hmm. Rocky Horror Picture Show, yeah. Rocky Horror Show, um, and one of his stipulations is only professional groups ever get the rights to do his to do that show. Right. So you'll never see a school do it. Or okay. Anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's only because he he wants that standard to be always there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Sometimes that's part of the licensing and. Interesting. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about you, Googling your name will take you to... Go to Play Market. Play Market's the best place? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah. I feel like we've come full circle, like you said. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. All right, there we go, Emily Duncan. Uh, make sure you check us out on Facebook. We've got a few opportunities to win some prizes coming up in the next wee while. Facebook.com forward slash D-E-P-T of conversation. Come say g'day to us, like the page as well. And uh, as you're listening to the audio version, you've already found us, but you can also find us on Spotify, iTunes or Stitcher to listen to our content again. Coming up next, which we're actually recording in about a half hour from now, uh, we are going to be chatting to Molly Devine, a Dunedin artist who is just starting to make inroads into the nationwide music scene. Uh, a really good time, actually. Really fun time having a chat with her. And that will be coming up for you shortly. Uh, next week, just as a heads up, I think on the Thursday, 1st of August, we're having a chat with Marama Davidson, who is the co-leader of the Greens. Green Party will be in Dunedin for a few days, and Marama Davidson will be in studio with us. So that's next week here in the Department of Conversation. All right then, hoot root.